the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson is headed to the U.S. Supreme Court. And this nomination is confirmed. A Russian spokesman admits heavy losses in Ukraine. We have significant losses of troops, and uh, it's, it's, it's a huge tragedy for us. A shakeup in Israel's government. It means that, uh, that this government probably cannot survive much longer. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Friday, April 8th. I'm Mike Scott. Ukraine is appealing to NATO for more weapons in its fight against Russia to help prevent further atrocities like those reported in the city of Bucha. Specifically, Ukraine wants Germany to slash red tape so that more sorely needed supplies can get in. Foreign Minister Dmytro Kuleba says Ukraine can win if its fighters have what they need. We are confident that the best way to help Ukraine now is to provide it with all necessary to contain Putin and to defeat Russian army in Ukraine, in the territory of Ukraine, so that the war does not spill over further. EU foreign policy chief Joseph Burrell agrees and says the bloc should be doing more than just verbally supporting Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky. The important thing is to continue putting pressure on Russia and continue supporting Ukraine. Zelensky had a lot of uh, support, but what uh, he really needs is more arms. Less applause and more arms. Meantime, Sky News anchor Mark Austin interviewed Russian President Vladimir Putin's mouthpiece, Dmitry Peskov, who admitted Russia has sustained severe losses. You've lost thousands of troops, you've lost six generals, uh, hundreds of tanks and other equipment. It's, it's a humiliation, really, isn't it? No, no. It's a wrong understanding of what is going on. But what, what is uh, wrong about what I've just said? Well, nearly everything. Nearly everything. Well, you've uh, lost well, thousands uh, of troops. Yeah, let's go through it. You've lost thousands of troops. How many troops yes, have you lost? We have, we have, we have significant losses of troops, and uh, it's 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 a huge tragedy for us. Peskov says that maneuvering of Russian troops in Ukraine is trying to show Russia's commitment to peace talks. Uh, now, about two regions, Kiev and the Chernigov regions. Uh, so actually the troops were really withdrawn from that region as an act of a goodwill during the negotiations between two delegations, Russian and Ukrainian delegation. And it, wanted, it was an act of a goodwill just to, um, uh, to, uh, well, to, to, to lift tension from those regions and in order to show that Russia is really ready to create comfortable conditions for continuation of negotiations. But it's just not true, is it? Back here at home, California Representative Mike Garcia joined Salem Media's Morning Answer in Los Angeles 
to discuss how the Biden administration is sending mixed messages on Ukraine. When asked if he believes the Biden administration is serious about Ukraine while working with Russia on a new Iran deal, he had this to say. No, and, and the way this one ends up happening, it, it ends up being a, a giant money laundering scheme and a sort of end run for Russia to actually get around some of these embargoes and sanctions that we're applying that, that the whole globe is trying to apply to them. They're, they're effectively going to use the, the Iran as a clearinghouse now for this money. We, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This has been happening uh, really since the, the inauguration last year, and this is something that Biden committed to in his campaign to strike a deal with Iran. It really doesn't matter what the terms are. In his mind, success is just getting to an agreement. Garcia says that using Russia as the negotiator for the Iran deal while they attack Ukraine sends the wrong message. I can tell you that this is going to be a weaker and shorter term agreement that allows Iran to actually get to uh, weapons quality grade uranium sooner. It allows them to exit the agreement if they need to sooner. Uh, and it still incentivizes them, and it still entails the United States paying Iran uh, effectively to comply. And this is why the original CPOA or the original Iran New Deal was a bad deal. Uh, and Russia is the puppeteer behind this whole negotiation. So, it, it, again, it's giving hope to the bad guys. It's, it's, it's big help in little words. Uh, in public, he chastises Russia and the Iranian terrorist organizations that have now been deemed not terrorist organizations. Uh, because of the Democrats, uh, and, and, and behind closed doors, he's negotiating with them, making, making their lives easier. Garcia points out what he feels America must do to stabilize the world in light of foreign conflicts. What we need to be doing right now is reasserting our dominance on the global stage. That absolutely has to happen. We've done so much damage to the U.S. Uh, preeminence on the global stage in the wake of Afghanistan and, and everything else that we're experiencing it's hard for a president to say he cares about other people's borders when our borders are wide open. Uh, it's hard for a president to care to say that he cares about the economy we, when we continue to drive our economy into the dirt with these massive spending bills and the inflation that we're seeing. Garcia says we should start decoupling and sanctioning China now to prevent a situation similar to Ukraine happening in Taiwan. Every lever that we've pulled against Russia because of what's going on with them against the Ukrainians uh, those same levers need to be pulled now against China. We need a full boycott, divestment, and sanction package right now against China. We need to reassert our dominance, dom domination in, in Asia and Indo-PACOM uh, uh, areas of operation so that Taiwan doesn't experience what the Ukrainians have been experiencing over the course of the last six months. The Israeli government has lost its majority in the Knesset. On Wednesday, the coalition whip from Prime Minister Naftali Bennett's Yamina party announced she was joining the opposition. Dr. Michael Oren, a former Israeli deputy prime minister for diplomacy, joined the Hugh Hewitt show to discuss the shakeup in the Israeli Knesset. There are 120 members of Knesset. Okay, In order to have a government, you have to have a majority. The smallest majority you can have is 61, where there's 59 people in the opposition. Okay, This present government had as before yesterday, had 61 majority and one member of Knesset. Uh, and as it happened, the person who was actually the secretary of the coalition bolted. So now there is a 60-60 split, and you can't pass legislation with that. Now, you can't do anything. You can even, to tell you the truth, I hope I'm not being too graphic, you can't even go to the bathroom because you, you have filibusters that go all night long. So it's not a sustainable position, and it means that... Um, 
that this government probably cannot survive much longer. Oren says that a familiar face may be the next prime minister of Israel. As I've often said on this program, that is always premature to eulogize Benjamin Netanyahu because he's back. Oren lists the different ways that former Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu may retake power in Israel's government. So the question is whether he can now wean another person away from the coalition, and then he could put together a coalition of maybe 61. It's not pleasant, but okay, he used to become the Prime Minister, and then you don't have to go to elections. Or you can bring about a no-confidence vote that the government will lose, and the government will fall and will go to elections. Or you can wait till next March when the government has to pass another budget. It can't pass the budget. If you don't pass the budget, the, the government falls. So those are the three routes that, that uh, Netanyahu has to returning to the, the premiership. The Senate has confirmed Kentaji Brown-Jackson to the U.S. Supreme Court, shattering a historic barrier by securing her place as the first black female justice. On this vote... The yeas are 53, the nays are 47, and this nomination is confirmed. The vote was 53 to 47, with three Republicans voting for confirmation. She will take her seat when Justice Stephen Breyer retires this summer, rejuvenating a diminished liberal wing of the conservative-dominated court. Jackson will be just the third black justice after Thurgood Marshall, and Clarence Thomas, and the sixth woman. Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock says Ketanji Brown-Jackson's rise will resonate with some. I'm the father of a young black girl. I know how much it means for Judge Jackson to have navigated the double jeopardy of racism and sexism to now stand in the glory of this moment. Texas Senator Ted Cruz says Brown-Jackson will indeed make history of the wrong kind. Based on her record, I believe she will prove to be the furthest left of any justice to have ever served on the Supreme Court. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell believes the confirmation of Kentaji Brown-Jackson will be another example of the left getting what it wants. With Washington Democrats in power, the far left got the reckless inflationary spending they wanted. The far left has gotten the insecure border they wanted. And today the far left will get the Supreme Court justice they wanted. Senate Judiciary Chair Dick Durbin says he cannot say enough about the three Republicans who voted for Ketanji Brown-Jackson, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and Mitt Romney. They came through uh, and took grief for it uh, in a, to a measure we rarely see around here. I respect them so much. I, I held out the hope that at the last minute several others would join them and realize that they wanted to be on the right side of history at this moment. Carrie Severino, president of the Judicial Crisis Network, joined the Salem Radio Network to give her thoughts on Justice Brown Jackson. So she's replacing Justice Breyer, who is, yes, one of the liberal justices. And remember, the liberal justices all tend to vote as a block much more reliably than the conservative justices already. But of that pretty tight block, he was one of the more moderate. She will not be the most liberal and progressive nominee that this president was looking for. He had, he had, he had a list, of, a short list. She was, by all accounts, the most liberal. 
So she's going to be someone who on that marginal case, you know, maybe Justice Breyer would have would have come to some uh, pragmatic compromise with the conservatives. She will not. Severino says Brown Jackson's liberal ideology may prevent her from swaying votes on the court. And I think that's going to be interesting because, you know, you, you might have thought it would have been smarter for the liberals to appoint someone like that in the hopes of bringing over and being able to appeal to some of the swing votes in the court. I don't think she'll be that kind of justice. I think she'll be more along the lines of where Justice Sotomayor is right now. So kind of articulating the most liberal outcome on any particular issue. But uh, from my perspective, at least, hopefully not the kind of person who's going to appeal to that swing vote on the court, which is what you would need to do as a liberal to really affect the ultimate outcome of the case. Severino says that Brown Jackson doesn't have much of a judicial philosophy. I think, though, that, you know, she isn't someone, by her own acknowledgement, that has a constitutional philosophy. So it's not like she's been doing, you know, deep constitutional law on these issues. I think she's someone who definitely has that perspective, but it's not coming out of where, you know, some justice... uh, Scalia or Justice Thomas, they often have very pro-defendant rulings, but it's because of their approach to certain constitutional provisions. When asked if she predicts Roe v. Wade will be overturned, Severino had this to say. I think based on the arguments in December, I I think that is absolutely correct. Of course, we know from from 1991, when the last big case challenging Roe came up, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, that there actually was a switch. You know, because the internal documents had revealed that they were going to go one way and then they switched to go another way. So I, I, I am just hoping and praying that um, that the court doesn't uh, it, there aren't some backroom shenanigans. More sliding in the polls for President Biden. The latest Rasmussen Reports national survey found that 52 percent of likely U.S. voters believe Mr. Biden's presidency has been bad for the long term success of the United States. 34% think Mr. Biden's presidency has been good for America's long-term success, while another 11% say it hasn't made much of a difference. Another poll suggests that a majority of voters believe the economy is much worse under President Biden. Daybreak Insider's Bernie Bennett is taking the pulse of reaction to the poll. By more than a 3-to-1 margin, voters believe the U.S. economy has gotten worse since President Biden took office and a majority think either he or his Democratic allies in Congress are mostly to blame. The latest Rasmussen Report's national telephone and online survey finds that 62% of likely U.S. voters believe the economy has gotten worse since Mr. Biden became president, which is more than three times the 19% who think the economy has gotten better under President Biden. Another 16% say the economy has stayed about the same. Bernie Bennett reporting. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer has filed a lawsuit asking a Michigan court to recognize the right to an abortion under the state constitution and to overturn a 176-year-old ban in the state. That may take effect again if the U.S. Supreme Court's landmark Roe v. Wade ruling is vacated. Michigan Attorney General Democrat Dana Nessel says a state law banning most abortions has been unenforceable since Roe v. Wade in 1973, but an imminent Supreme Court decision could change everything. I think we're going to have a problem in terms of licensure, in terms of insurance carriers. If this law remains on the books, um, I, I think that you're just going to see all abortion providers likely shut their doors. Dr. Sarah Wallet says that if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, an unenforced law still on the books in the state of Michigan may make it a felony 
to provide an abortion. We know the Supreme Court is going to grant, um, release a decision on a case out of Mississippi any day. And we don't know what that means for our patients or whether we can continue to provide them care. In an attempt to combat what's been labeled Putin's price hike, President Biden announced a plan last week to release roughly one million barrels of oil a day from the nation's strategic petroleum reserve over the next six months to reduce energy and gas prices. Joe Griffith is a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation and says this energy crisis existed well before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. He tells the Salem Radio Network President Biden is using the war in Ukraine as a scapegoat for inflation. Griffith says our current economic struggles are connected to the global COVID shutdown. The economic turmoil we are experiencing now is directly related to the imprudent and immoral COVID shutdowns that we saw across the world over the past two years. And we're still bearing the consequences of that. Griffith says shutting down our energy reserves will cause economic hardships in the near future. And to see the Biden administration shutting down pipelines, making it more difficult to drill, that's going to guarantee that we're going to see similar supply issues in the future. And that's going to result in American families sporadically over the next 10 years dealing with higher energy prices. It's completely unnecessary. Griffith goes on to say that the world should never have shut down our economies because of COVID-19. It was not necessary. The shutdowns that we saw that created all this havoc, they were not necessary. Um, Oftentimes, they were imposed in an illegal, unconstitutional manner. And let's hope it's a lesson learned that we will never again shut down our economy. Federal Reserve officials are sending more signals that they will take a more aggressive approach to fighting high inflation in the coming months. We get details on this story from Daybreak Insider's Jeremy House. Those actions will make borrowing sharply more expensive for consumers and businesses and heighten risks to the economy. In minutes from their policy meeting three weeks ago, Fed officials said the aggressive half-point rate hikes, rather than traditional quarter-point increases, could be appropriate multiple times this year. At last month's meeting, many of the Fed policymakers favored a half-point increase, but held off because of the uncertainties created by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Finally, Tiger Woods opens with a one under 71 in his first competitive round of golf since the final round of the 2020 Masters. What a return. (laughs) 71 for Tiger. Woods competing in a major for the first time since a debilitating car crash some 14 months ago that shattered his right leg and ankle. If he wins or doesn't make the cut on Friday, Tiger Woods' return to competitive golf is a victory in itself, he says. He went on to say, if you would have seen how my leg looked to where it is now, to see where I've been, to get from there to here, it's no easy task. Woods is expected to tee off at the Masters again today around 141. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. 
get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at daybreakinsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.